Thursday, July 19th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Pro, Jeff Fisher, and wrapping up Canada Week here on Market Foolery from Motley Fool Options, Jim Gillies. Howdy. A, Yay! a full week of, of Gillies. For the week. Uh, this is amazing. It's a marathon. All right. We got a lot to get to today. We've got uh, stock buybacks. We're going to revisit our very first ever undervalued, overvalued uh, episode that we did on Market Foolery. And uh, we're going to start with Big Blue. IBM is the Dow's top stock this morning, with shares up more than 3% in the wake of the latest quarterly results. Uh, Jim, earnings came in lower than expected, but the company did raise guidance for the full year. What's the headline for IBM's business? Well, let me re- reboot that. Earnings came in ahead of expectations. Did revenue, revenue missed revenue. on I'm sorry. The, the top line. My apologies. Uh, most of that was actually currency. They do a lot of business in Europe, and you know I don't know if you've heard, but the, the euro has kind of sunk. Heard something about L- that. Something about that. Um, you know what? I thought it was a good quarter. Uh, I actually, full disclosure, have two positions in Motley Fool Options on IBM. And so I was very interested in this report, um, thought it was good. Uh, margins looked good. Gross margins were up pretty much across the board. Uh, the revenue wasn't a, that big of an issue because it, a lot of it was driven by currency movements, which will tend to bounce around a little bit. And, you know, we, we ignore them on both the gain and the loss side. Um, you know, cash looked great. They returned all their cash uh, to shareholders via dividends and stock buybacks. It, it's, uh, they're, they're on a roadmap to 2015 where they're aiming for uh, 20 bucks a share in uh, in earnings per share, oh. and you know, so you slap a fifteen fourteen multiple on that, you you get a really quick bare bones valuation, and uh, it was one more quarter on that nice steady, nice steady march on uh, twenty fifteen roadmap. I liked it, uh, Jeff. We had talked recently about uh, Intel and sort of the ripple effect of Intel and their results, and and you know, Intel is one of those companies that is held up as a tech bellwether. Uh, but it seems like IBM is certainly in that category as well. Mm-hmm. Is I mean, sh- how much should investors read into th- that notion that either one of those companies is is maybe more important to the technology sector writ large than the other? I'd say they're both important in their own way. And you're looking at the best of the best. And when the best of the best are, are doing well but not hitting it all the, out of the ballpark – the second tier and third tier players are going to have a tougher time of it, of course. So I think that's the overall takeaway. Uh, Jim, who's who's the number one competitor for a company like IBM? I mean, is it is it a company like Microsoft, which actually has a larger market cap, or is it? And and I realize this may sound laughable, or is it someone like Hewlett Packard, who is actually second to IBM in terms of overall computer sales? Uh, it's it's definitely not HP. Um, it's difficult because, you know, they've spent the better part of the last decade moving out of, you know, PCs and hardware and what yep. have you into computer-related services and business services. So, I mean, you know, you're starting to uh, encroach in areas like, uh, heck, you could say Accenture. Or you could say any of the, the big consulting groups. You could say uh, uh, Oracle, although, of course, you're getting... Uh, you know, uh, major software sales and what have you there. But uh, these are basically solutions for business, and it's it's higher margin business, and they've done well. And it's actually one of the reasons, that's one of the underpinnings for this move in their 2015 roadmap to get to higher earnings per share, higher cash flows, and what have you. So, Just to close out on IBM, when we walked in the studio, the shares were trading around 195 per share, uh, within shouting distance of the all-time high of, of I believe, 210. Yeah. Um, 
in terms of the stock, how does the stock look to you today? Is it fairly valued? Is it a little rich for your blood? Uh, I have a valuation on it. Uh, I tend to put ranges on things, kind of viewing a few scenarios. My my range is 180 to 220, so it's I, it's it's fairly valued today. Uh, I do uh, I have as I mentioned these two uh, strategies going on, and one of them is very much taking advantage of. I, I think the stock is over 300 dollars, probably 2015 2016 timeframe. And so I've, I'm working towards uh, that via the strategy. So, uh, Every once in a while, we will take shots at the financial media. So I think it's only fair to, to give a shout out to uh, at least one member of the financial media. And that's Herb Greenberg at CNBC, who mm-hmm. is a, a, a great writer, a great analyst, and uh, someone that I actually just started following on Twitter. And he's, he's one of those people that, that really makes, uh, makes Twitter worthwhile. Uh, he had a great article earlier this week, uh, and the topic was stock buybacks. And he cites a report that reviewed $2.7 trillion worth of stock buybacks by companies in the S&P 500, covering the period 2004 to 2011. And the conclusion was, and I'm quoting here, most have not yet added much value for shareholders, which, as Greenberg says, is unfortunate because, and quoting again here, it seems like many investors and analysts assume that buybacks automatically add value regardless of the price paid. And he goes on to cite um, some of the companies that are the worst uh, offenders in terms of returning value, AIG, Citigroup, Sprint, Nextel, Genworth Financial, Hartford Financial, and Alcoa. Those are the six worst. Uh, but he does cite that you know, there are some companies that do it right and do it well, uh, the best being Dollar Tree, CF Industries, Visa, Ross Stores, Lorillard, and Edwards Life Sciences. Um, you guys... Uh, between Motley Fool Pro and Motley Fool Options, you're not just buying stocks, you're, you're using different investment instruments and strategies. I'll start with you, Jeff. How do you view share buybacks? And as an analyst and someone looking to allocate capital, uh, how, do you, how do you apply what you think about share buybacks in terms of investments? Well, what I think about share buybacks is varied by situation, but let's go back to the study quickly, and then I'll get to an answer, I sure. promise. <laughs> Herb is a friend on Facebook for what that, that's worth. Wow. And so I, just, I just follow him on Twitter. I'm and not we'll see for what it's worth, and we'll see if he unfriends me after this. Oh, okay. Because my complaint is the study he cited is only seven or eight years long, and it's during a very volatile time. I would love to see a study that's 10, 20 years long okay. to see what sort of value is created. And in the study, 61% of companies buying back stock still showed a positive return on that buyback, which is about what you would expect. Peter Lynch always says, if you can be right six out of 10 times, you're doing well. Uh, but here on the podcast, as, as you know, Chris, the buybacks are generally frowned upon. But I think there are cases where they make a lot of sense. Warren Buffett loves that IBM does a steady buyback. He says, what's wrong with lower share count? Great. Uh, some criticisms they get is, well, they're just masking option grants at many companies. And that may be true, especially with technology companies who are the biggest buyers of their own stock. But these companies need to grant stock options to employees to be competitive. So they don't have a choice. And if they're then buying back stock to to get rid of that dilution, I have no complaint with that if, if those top talent employees are adding value to the company. And would you rather a company throw billions into acquisitions that flame out uh, as opposed to doing these buybacks. Right. So I think there are good buybacks. There are bad buybacks. Most most of the buybacks in the, in the study were done at 2008, 2007, right at the peak. Yep. So management is generally not great at timing. But uh, there is a place for them, and they do add value over the long term at many companies. Jim, what about you? 
I'm, I'm thinking you said that AIG was one of the worst. I'm thinking, yeah, those pre-credit crisis AIG buybacks probably yeah. look real stunning now. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I agree with pretty much everything Jeff said, uh, and I agree a lot with uh, with a lot in the study. Um, you know, there are a lot of really bad buybacks, and there are a lot of really good buybacks. And I do hold up the IBM uh, buyback because that's that's a major underpinning for how they're on this, this roadmap they're on, is to buy back their own shares. They're generating the cash. And, you know, it's going to go somewhere. So whether and, and, and the way I work around it when I'm valuing a company or when I'm looking for a strategy to implement is I'm actually looking at the company and I'm only valuing it based on what I'm calling the beneficial cash flows to, to investors or what I like to call unfettered free cash flow, which tends to mo- make most of our members go to sleep. Um, but so what ends up happening is, um, you know, like IBM has about $18 billion in free cash flow in the last year. Well, of that, I'm actually going forward looking at about 13.7, 13.8 billion because the rest of it is, as Jeff said, you know, it's option dilution offset. So they're sopping up the options that have been given to to the people inside. So I actually just get rid of that in my valuation process. And I think as long as you value a company based on what is beneficial to you as a shareholder, so dividends plus buybacks and excessive dilution, I think you can work around it. I also look for companies where the um, – where their history of buybacks is actually good? Does management show like kind of a surgical precision to to buying back shares? And I have an idea for for later. Okay. But but one of the ones that is almost the complete opposite is a company called Logitech, which makes you know mice and computer per, computer peripherals. And you know for years, I think I think from like 2003 to 2011, I think they bought back something like 50 million shares, and their actual share count went down. Like two million because they just hosed out so many options and equity grants to insiders. So I mean, I think it was close to a billion dollars they spent. They got no benefit. Cheryl's got no benefit from it, and today the stock is lower than it was at the start of that whole process. So. Is, is so? I mean, if it's if it's the sort of situation where at a minimum you can look at this study and say, okay, I, I'm not going to automatically assume it's a positive. I'm not necessarily going to assume That's to reasonable. your point, Jeff, that it's that it's not that it's a negative, but I'm not going to assume it's a positive. Then what's the um, what's the next step for investors? Assuming they're not going to crunch the numbers the way you do, Jim, is it to look at the management? Is it just to look? Is it to look at the track record of share buybacks in the same way you would look at the track record of the way a company uh, acquires other companies and their history of implementation? It's really an assessment of management and how they manage cash. Do they buy back at opportune times like Gentex does? GNTX they they bought a lot of shares during the crash. Do they acquire companies well? And, and add value that way. And are they smart and do they sit on cash when they should be? Are they not buying when the stock is high? So you look at how they spend cash over a long period and that can tell you whether they're good at how they use, how they spend their money in general, including buybacks. That's a capital allocation question. you know. And, and you look at the entire history of management across the board, as Jeff says, and it's just one more component to capital allocation. Let's uh, hop in the Wayback Machine because it was September 14th of 2011 that the three of us were in this room and we did our very first ever yes. under, undervalued, yeah. overvalued, overlooked. Um, Everyone remembers. And uh, yes, ever, absolutely. Awesome. Mac, oh. uh, can Mac roll the tape? I've always wanted to say that. <laughs> Mac, roll the tape. We'll, we'll kick back for 17 minutes and nah, play it again. Mac's busy. Mac's, uh, Mac, <laughs> Mac can't just, Mac's not your trained monkey who just rolls tape whenever you ask him to. Um, uh, but Jeff, you actually you actually uh, reminded me of this uh, earlier in the week and, and went back and looked at the stocks. I, I, here are the stocks that you guys said. Uh, Jim, uh, you had Portfolio Recovery Associates as undervalued back on September 14th of last year. And Green Mountain Coffee Roasters, you said, was overvalued. Uh, since that time, Portfolio Recovery Associates up 
36%. Green Mountain down 84%. Two for two. Two for two. Uh, Jeff, you had Autodesk as undervalued. That stock is up 20% uh, since September 14th. And you had Wynn Resorts as overvalued, and that's down 34%. Four for four. I believe that's also the podcast where you said, today I'm going to take down, I'm going to try and take down a very wealthy man. (laughs) That's right. Victory. Um, so now that we have revisited and, and taken just a, a, a small victory lap, because that's uh, those you guys are four for four, uh, let's put you under the gun again, and let's let's do another quick round of undervalued and overvalued. And uh, Jim Gillies, I'll start with you. What's an undervalued stock? Uh, a company that I think is undervalued that I like a lot and that I have positions in personally as well as in the service is Guess ticker symbol G E S on the New York Stock Exchange. It's uh, uh, it's a clothing retailer, fashion retailer, if you will. Um, they have a lot of exposure to Europe, so that's entered a lot of fear into the company. Uh, basically, it stocks about twenty-eight bucks today. I think it's worth at least ten bucks more. And uh, as mentioned earlier, this is the company that is surgically buying back their own shares. They have a good history of buying they their shares. Right. They do it right. Um, I, uh, as you can tell, just from being here during the week and just seeing the way I dress, I don't care about fashion. It seems incredibly fickle to me. And you look, so you look great. You look oh, sharp oh, almost that. every day. <laughs> I had to say almost. Almost Tuesday, man. Yeah, that was bad. Um, but I mean, with in terms of investments, you know, you've got uh, you've got Guess, but you've also got Aeropostale, you've mm-hmm. got Abercrombie and Fitch, you've got the Gap. What, like, why is this purely a valuation thing that that makes you say Guess, or do they have some sort of advantage? Other value, valuation, certainly first and foremost, it is cheap compared to the cash flows it has demonstrated it can put off. It's a management quality issue. Um, management at the Gap or at Abercrombie, I don't have much time for. Although I hear the new guy at Gap is pretty good. Um, the uh, the management at guests their their owner founders which we like I, I believe the two brothers who are still uh, on the payroll if you will started by four brothers back in the day uh, they still own about twenty eight thirty percent of the shares uh, it pays a nice dividend they are very good again at the capital allocation side of things and you know and and they're diversified across around the world and they have a nice model licensing model and they got some some exposure to Europe that looks sad now but. You know, give give it a little while. It'll be fine. All right, Jeff, what's your undervalued stock? All right, easy one. This is fun. It's GraphTech International. <laughs> okay. The ticker is GTI. Okay. And they are the low-cost producer of high-quality graphite electrodes that are used in steel mills. Now, I want to explain this very quickly because it's 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 cool. And they, <laughs> they're used cool. in, in electric arc furnaces, which are really giant recycling machines. And you throw refrigerators in there or bikes or anything you want to melt and then you put these electrodes on top of these giant furnaces, and you lower the electrodes down right until they nearly touch the steel, and then you send massive amounts of electricity through the electrodes, and they get up to 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit, and that's why they have to be graphite. They're the one yep. thing that can... And this melts uh, the steel. You're recycling steel, basically. So GraphTech is a leading producer of these high-quality graphite electrodes, and the better quality they are, the more you can burn them, the more you can melt the shares are down about 50% since February because they're cyclical. People are very worried about the economy. They're back down to about 9 bucks a share where they traded in 2009, even though this is no 2009. Even right. by the end of 2009, they were back in the mid-teens. I think it's going to do that sort of return again back to the mid-teens, even if it takes another year or two. Um, that'll be a great 50% some return. It- and- 
Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, if there's a video on their website of, of melting refrigerators, I definitely want to see that. They have a lot of, they have a lot of cool. pictures. A lot of, so it's just a slowdown. Uh, steel producers have, had built up inventory of electrodes, and they're working that through, and it's, it's improving now as we speak. Uh, do they have a, a main competitor? They have uh, several competitors, but they're the leader, and they claim to produce the highest quality electrode product, and they sell to almost every electric arc steel furnace around the world. And they had just recently acquired the, a needle coke, the leading needle coke producer. Needle coke is a material you need to make the electrodes. Okay. So now they're going to control more of the costs, and that should help them competitively too. All right, let's move on to overvalued stocks. Jim Gillies, what's what's an overvalued stock on your radar? Um, the one I'm going to take a shot at, I suppose, is uh, called Salesforce.com, uh, ticker uh, CRM on the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, basically, uh, it's overvalued. It's got deteriorating financials, I believe. It doesn't make near amount of cash it needs to to justify its premium valuation. Um, they do a lot of acquisitions, which does tend to uh, grow through acquisitions. So it does tend to um, obscure the true growth rate of the company, which might be slowing. And uh, they're in their cloud services, cloud computing play. And uh, there's a couple of small companies getting more serious about that. You may have heard of uh, Oracle and Microsoft. I've heard of those two. Yeah. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, the, the stock is the stock is not cheap. It's trading at, you know, about 170 times EBITDA. Now, in fairness, uh, they're spending a lot of money on new staffing, which is depressing their EBITDA. So I, I understand that. But even, even if you uh, pull that out, I think that uh, the stock is, it's rich. Um, is this one of those situations where they sort of succeeded in a way that maybe Oracle and Microsoft didn't because they weren't paying that much attention, and because of their success, that's where Oracle and Microsoft said, oh, well, we have cash. We can do that. Yes. It's got to be a little bit terrifying if you're yeah. Salesforce, if all of a sudden yeah. you wake up and, and Oracle and Microsoft have decided to enter your they, business they have a really um, They have a really enthusiastic CEO who, I mean, I, I generally don't, go in for the big growth stories. And I, I generally get kind of leery when I see um, these types of things. It's just, it's just my in my investor DNA. And there's certainly people who do the growth thing very, yeah. very well. Um, but uh, even though I think this is you know, overvalued and somewhat bloated, um, and I think the CEO is quite a, a promotional guy, his enthusiasm alone makes me kind of like, I'm calling it overvalued, but I'm kind of pulling for the guy, you know? <laughs> like I'm like, you know, you're conflicted. I am, I am, but I think it, it's overvalued. Salesforce has a lot of bulls and bears on both yeah, sides. Yeah, it does. It's it, a, it really a rule is a breaker selection. It is, yes. And then a few fool services are shorted. So yes. it's, you know, motley opinions. Here. It's a lot like Green Mountain, and then it's, there's a lot of, yeah, motley opinions, and there's passions on both sides. All right, Jeff Fisher, what's your overvalued stock? This, this is a Wall Street darling as well. It's Arm Holdings, tickle it. Ticker, we can tickle, tickle the ticker, <laughs> is ARMH. There you go. Arm Holdings, you could just Google it too and it comes right up. You don't need me. <laughs> but ARM designs microprocessors and physical IP and then it sells that. It licenses, licenses it te its technology out to customers who manufacture these microprocessors. Their largest competitor, arguably, is becoming Intel. ARM has been <laughs> leading the mobile processing boom since the end of the last decade. And the shares are... are up really sharply since 2007 when they were in low, mid, single digits. They're 23 right now. My my concern is one of valuation and one of, as just said, competition. When Intel now has its eye on mobile processors, you might be in trouble. Arm Holding spends on research and development around $145 million a year, and it's been pretty flat since 2010. Yep. Intel, in the last 12 months, spent $9.3 billion on research and development. And some of that is, goes towards manufacturing, but most of it goes towards its, its technology. 
And so I think Intel is going to lead the technology curve in the mobile space. They have the best microprocessor fabrication facilities in the world, bar none. So they're a generation or two ahead of the curve generally. And now with their sights on mobile and, and at the same time ARM Holdings having nearly all the market share in mobile, yeah. I think they only have market share to lose as Intel encroaches on their space. Um, it, was this sort of inevitable? I mean, it just it just sort of seems like Intel, and I think we talked about this recently that they, you know, they it's the one it's the one area in terms of processing that they're just uh, that they have they, that, that they, they really they, haven't dominated yeah, in kinda, the way that they have with others. They had a kind of half-hearted approach to it because they couldn't make the type of margins they wanted to make on it, and now they have a system where they can. They have processors where they can. The, the new Atom processor is extremely low energy. In fact, it's so le- low energy that Hewlett Packard just amounts their announced that they're going to use this mobile processor, Atom, inside a new line of servers. Not cell smartphones, although wow. they are going into smartphones now, but in servers. So when you have a chip that powerful and low energy, it's going to present competition, especially because Intel can get the costs down, too. Uh, before we wrap up, uh, I should mention that uh, the service you run, Jeff, Motley Fool Pro, is, uh, has reopened for, uh, I believe, the final time in, in That's right. 2012. Second time and final time. Um, uh, for folks who are listening who may not know a lot about Pro, give me, give me the, the qu- a quick elevator pitch for the service Elevator that pitch. Can we put some music on? Elevator music? <laughs> Maybe Mac can do that. I, I have to stop calling <laughs> on Mac for things. <laughs> so Pro is a long, short, but tr- since we launched in 2008, mostly long portfolio that uses stocks, options, and ETFs to make money, to make smooth returns, whatever the market is doing. So whatever the market is doing, up or down, we should have some positions that are making money. And over the long term, we should make very good money with our mostly bullish positions in really great companies. We uh, make a lot of income, too. Uh, and I should say the, uh, the Pro is reopened, but it's only for a limited time. A couple it's, days. Uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's going to be open through uh, midnight on July 24th. Uh, a lot more details at the special website we've set up, which is investlikeapro, all one word, investlikeapro.fool.com. That's investlikeapro.fool.com. Uh, there's a link at the bottom of that page with the you know, big, bold, all caps, PRO is now open, so check it out. A lot of information, uh, and I think a, a, a roundtable that we did Roundtable on the election coming up in November, too, and on how PRO invests. So give it a look. We'd love to see you in PRO. All right. Investlikeapro.fool.com. Jeff Fisher, Jim Gillies. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Get back to Canada safe. Okay? I'm out of here tonight. All we'll right. miss you. As always, people on the soon. program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Creer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.